Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn, and you're joining, well, joining me as always is Manu Vett and Chris Williams. Chris, how has your week been? We'll go to you first. Oh, um, thanks, Bryce. Thanks for coming to me first. Um, it's, it's good, thanks. Bit busy. Obviously, as, as a Football Grad Network, we've been massively busy with the Confederations Cup. Um, whether it's previews or minute-by-minute um, minute reporting or press conferences that Manu's done out there to all the social media stuff that we've done as a team. So, yeah, it's been really busy and um, it's now a little bit of a, a chance for us to relax and get back to doing well what I want to do anyway, which is Bundesliga. Yes, definitely. Uh, the international well, tournaments all seem to be gone now, which, uh, Manu, you might be a, a little bit relieved of. It seemed like a rather exhausting few weeks for you. Oh. It's been um, a very exciting two, well, three weeks almost, I guess. Three weeks and two and a half weeks in Russia. And um, to be honest, they all seem to have merged into one day because that's how long it has felt. It's, it's felt like it's all been compressed into one single day. And uh, there's been so much happening and so much going on and um, it feels like yesterday that I stepped onto a plane to Russia and then now I'm back and you know yesterday spoke to a whole bunch of the national team players in the mixed zone after their com- somewhat surprising Confederations Cup triumph although when you look at the squad I guess um, it isn't that big of a surprise but it's been a whirlwind and um, I'm looking forward to laying low for 24 hours uh, tomorrow and then get straight back into full-on Bundesliga action because you know, the teams are back in training, uh, players are back, getting back to their clubs slowly but surely. So, you know, gearing up for what will be another exciting season. Yeah, definitely. For anyone who doesn't know, man, who's normally based in Canada. And he's been out in Germany since we were all out there for the, uh, the second last game of the season when we went to uh, Leipzig and Bayern Munich, which seems almost like a lifetime ago. And uh, since then, he's he's been in Germany, Russia for the Federation Cup, and now back to Germany again. So, yeah, it's just a little bit of sympathy for him. But, you know, he's watching <laughs> football, so it can't, bad, it can't be that bad. It's a tough uh, life, really tough. <laughs> horrible. <laughs> yeah, it sounds horrible, yeah. Anyway, guys. Um, yeah, we've got plenty to talk about today, especially um, starting off with the uh, international competitions. Obviously, Germany coming out on top of the under-21 European Championships and also Germany coming out on top of the Confederations Cup. So it's a good time to be German. But everyone's talking about the squad depth uh, and how good it is and how they've got an A team, B team, G team, Z team, whatever. You know, they've, they've got numerous players to pick from. And we've all decided that we would pick our starting 11. Yes, they're going to be controversial. Um, some of them may not make sense, but uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll do our best to explain. But, um, well, I don't even know where to begin with this one. But, Manu, let, let's go for your starting 11. If you can pick any 11 German players uh, to, to take the field, well, who would it be? I don't want to be in Joachim Löw's shoes right now because it's going to be a very tough decision. Um 50 players, that's what he has right now, considering that he left 10 off the squad, that there were 23, uh, no, 21 in Russia, 23 in Poland for the U21 title, right? That's uh, a lot of players to choose from. So let me start from the back. I'll, I'll, of course, Manuel Neuer, that's probably the easiest decision he can make. Um, although I think in about four years' time, Ter Stegen will be uh, really pushing for that spot. Then the back three. That's also, I think, relatively easy. You got, um, Boateng and Hummels were obviously going to start. And then you have to choose one of the three very good defenders from the Confed Cup, I guess. And, um, the one that impressed me the most was Antonio Rüdiger. Um, he, he was really steadfast and he's very athletic, very quick guy. Big guy too. I met him yesterday and, uh, you guys know how tall I am. He towers next to me too. And, it's, um, very, very strong, 
very well-built player. So I think those are the three in the back. Now, um, I've gone with a 3-5-2, similar to what Löw has used uh, in this tournament. So I'll go with the two wing-backs next, and that would be Jonas Hector and Joshua Kimmich. And they're, the, they're two of the constants, really, um, because they have been, you know, they were already in the Euros, they were playing as, uh, in a, of course, in the four four-man defense um, as uh, left and right back. So he, they would be kind of slightly playing as wing-backs, turning the defense into a five-man defense, but also playing forward. And they both can do this. They're both very good in the transition game. Now, now it gets difficult. Um, my number six, I would go still with Sammy Kadira. I think they, Sebastian Rudy did an excellent job at this tournament. But um, it has to be Sammy Kadira, simply because of all the experience he has. So that uh, that is three in midfield already, if you include the two wingbacks. Then uh, two offensive-minded midfielders. And um, there I would go, oh, that's very hard. <laughs> um, I thought Leon Goretzka was very good at this tournament and FIFA did not give him the best player of the tournament award and he probably deserved it so I would would go with him Julian Draxler was was the player who got the player of the tournament award but um, unfortunately for him he will have a tough time I think um, getting necessarily always a starting position in the squad simply because of the players that are not in and um, for that reason I would go with someone like Tony Kroos there um, on a slightly more offensive position. So that's my uh, f- fifth midfielder. Then up front, um, he played with Timo Werner and Lars Stindl, so I expect that he will use a real striker, and that real striker will more likely be Mario Gomez than Timo Werner to begin with at the World Cup. And then he will play with someone like Lars Stindl behind uh, a true striker like Mario Gomez, and that will be Thomas Müller. Well, there we go. Yeah. It's, you know, I'm leaving out so many players um, just on top of my head. I mean, I had to get rid of Julian Draxler, who was the player of, of this tournament. Marco Royce, Mario Götze. Um, I mean, the list is so long of players that I have to leave out. Uh, Ilkay Gundogan, who I think a lot of people would expect as well. Mesut Özil, not in the squad uh, at the current moment. It's... Um, Serge Gnabry, Timo Werner didn't make the squad. Lars Dindl, who will, will have a good chance next year as well, go to the tournament, didn't make the squad. Uh, the starting 11, that is. So I think it's where Joachim Löw is in a very good situation to, to pick some fantastic players. And he has 50 players to choose from at the moment. That's, that's remarkable. Yeah, very good predicament to be in, uh, most certainly. Um, uh, Chris, uh, is there? Do you see any issues with Manu's side, or, or are you alarmed by any of it in any particular way? No, not at all. I've gone for a slightly different setup. I've gone for a four-two-three-one. So, and um, that's probably so I could squeeze in more people in the area that I wanted at the back. Um, but it, it's pretty much the same, um, maybe a little different. I've gone with a Manuel Neuer in goal. Um, Hector, Boateng, Hummels and Rudiger would be my back four. Hector I've always liked. He's a brilliant defender and if I could have him um, in my own team, if I was going to create uh, Chris FC, he would be straight in there. Um, Boateng and Hummels are just two of the best centre-backs I think going on the planet. Um, I did I did toy with putting Sula in there um, but I don't know if he would just edge out Boateng at the moment. Um, and Rudiger I've been impressed with um, Whenever I've seen him, I don't watch much Serie A, but whenever I have seen him play, he's always um, impressed. And I was really impressed with him in the Confederations Cup tournament. He was asked to play, not out of position, but he was asked to play in a back three on the right-hand side of a back three. Um, when he's more at home on the um, right-back side, which is why I would I would put him in the in that area of the defence. Um, midfield then, I'd have um, Tony Cruz and uh, Gunny Youngden. Um, although he's not fit at the moment, obviously he's had a bad knee um, or bad bad knee. It may sound like my nan said that. He's had obviously um, a real problem with his ACL. Um, so I would put Rudy in if he was still unfit in there. Um, and then this is where I debated Draxler or Royce. I didn't know who to go for. Um, and purely on the basis of 
since he's left Wolfsburg and gone to PSG, he's done very well. Um, and he really impressed me during this tournament. And he picked up the um, golden ball, didn't he? Player of the tournament. So um, Union Draxler gets in there. Um, and then he will be, um, well, next to him will be Ozil from um, Arsenal, who is much maligned sometimes, but he has got a lot of skill. Um, and technically, he's very good. He's also a good visionary. And I think if you put him in the right side, as in the German national side with players around him, he's a better fit than he is at Arsenal. Um, and then um, I had to get Thomas Muller in somewhere, so he's gone in there. Um, but could have gone with Leroy Sane as well. Um, but I've got with Muller. And then up front, um, Timo Werner. I've been mega impressed by him all season. Um, I saw him score that goal uh, with Tom Stark in goal when we were over in Leipzig in late May. And uh, it's one of those goals that will stay with me for a long time. I've got a couple. I've got um, Luis Suarez's um, second goal against Norwich when I saw that at Carroll Road. That will live with me for a long time. Um, Daniel Sturridge's goal in the Europa League final will live with me live for a long time. And Timo Werner's goal um, against Bayern Munich will live with me live for a long time. And I think that was just... It just didn't look like he could score. And when he came on in the Confederations Cup, when Sandra Wagner was playing, I thought as soon as he came on, he offered more than Wagner did in, in four minutes than Wagner did for the previous, I think it was 65-70 before him. Um, but if Mario Gotz is fit, he could also step in there in that striker role. But at the moment, um, I would go for Timo Werner. And he concludes my striker up the front. Wow, eh? I like some of your choices, I must say. Maria, is, is there anything that alarmed you with uh, Chris's side or anything that you would debate? Oh, the formation. Because I think yeah. Louv is stuck on 3-5-2. Um, yeah, but I wanted to get four defenders in it. So it's purely personal choice. Um, I know that would say 3-5-2, but yeah. I didn't know if I would get rid of Boateng or Hummel, so I went for a back four. Ooh, yeah, I mean, it's tough, right? And I think they have the flexibility to play both formations, no problem. When you clearly think about it, it's not going to be an issue for them to switch back and forward. But I think Löwe's agenda is to really nail that 3-5-2. He's stuck to it no matter the opposition at this tournament and seemed to almost have a good laugh. You know, just basically every time the reporters were like, oh, is he going to play this formation? He's like, nope, 3-5-2. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's so many players with so many positions that he could probably be fairly flexible, couldn't he? But... Um, yes, we'll, we'll get to my side, sure, as well. So I went for a 3-5-2 as well, or a 5-3-2, or whatever way you want to put it, I suppose. So predictable. Yeah, no, yeah, sorry about that. Sorry to be predictable. Hopefully the lineup's not as predictable, but it probably is, to be honest. Um, so I've got a Neuer and Gold, same old, same old. Then I've got, uh, yeah, Hector and uh, Kimmich, uh, left and right back. And then I've got the three at the back. I went for Hummel's. Botang and Sula, which uh, will all be at the same club this year, right? So, but maybe they'll play together. Maybe one will edge out another one. Let's see what happens. But um, could be a good understanding from the World Cup, eh? Then uh, I played two holding midfielders. Um, I've got Kadira because, uh, as Manu said, you know, just his experience. Uh, you know, I think he's a fantastic player and uh, gets all the credit for, or deserves all the credit for all the uh, trophies that he's won over the years. Uh, but then I put Rudy in beside him. Uh, Rudy really impressed me this season, and I think his passing ability is, you know, absolutely fantastic. Even though you've got, I suppose, Weigel, you've got Gundogan, you know, we've got quite a few players that could fit in there. Uh, I went for those two, and then um, a front. Three, I suppose uh, I went for, um, well, Draxler did enough for me at the uh, Confederations Cup. I thought he was fantastic. I mean, we kind of said that uh, he, he was a, a bit hot and cold, wasn't he, for Wolfsburg. But since he's made that move, um, he's, he's looked such a better player. Uh, I went for him, Royce, because uh, for Dortmund, it's, it's a different team when he's on, you know, in my eyes. And yeah, I went, I went for uh, Timo Werner up front as well. Uh, I've been a Absolutely impressed uh, with him this season and uh, couldn't agree more with Chris that when we uh, got to witness uh, him playing uh, Bayern just towards the end of the season, there he, he was on fire. And I, I think you know, he, he can also link up the play well. I think he's got more to his game than just a bit of pace and, and a bit of a poacher. I, I think he I think he's a, a hell of a player. I think he uh, put in Goretzka with a fantastic pass in one of the games, maybe the semi-final. And yeah, I think I think he's got a lot to his game as well. So so there we go. 
I mean, anyone disappointed by that? Surprised by that? Probably not. No, it's a good choice. I'm quite happy with that. I think it's what we've been saying for a while, and it's been reported on across the world. I think the last couple of days, isn't it? From um, from America to Canada to obviously Germany, England, across Europe, are saying it now. Is that Germany got so much strength in depth? There's almost four or five teams that you can pick from, um, and they're all pretty strong. I mean, mm. I know we said we wouldn't do benches. But I mean, the bench, if I was to have one for me, to Stegen, Boateng, um, sorry, to Stegen, Sula, Weigel, Chan, Gutzeka, Wagner, Sane, Dahoud, Gnabry, Stindl, there's, there's another 11 there, um, in essence. So, yeah, it's a hard one. What a choice, though, you'd want to have as, as a national team manager, low. Well, I don't, this is what you want as a manager to have so much strength in depth that you can just cherry pick at each single time who's the best at that particular time and what what squad he will. I don't know how he narrows all of these players down to a World Cup squad. I would not want that. That will give him a few sleepless nights. Well, I tell you what, Chris, he came through a mixed zone yesterday with a massive smile on his head, on his face holding the cup in one hand, walking through and just saying no comments, but there was just that smile on his face. Because he got yeah. a lot of criticism for taking... Oh, he did, didn't he? Because everyone said it was a yeah, a young a young uh, experimental squad, but... Oh, that's cheeky smile. what the Germans do well, man. They peak just at the right time. It's uh, that last game against... Um, so last game in the um, group stages, they played well. Um, and then they went in and just destroyed Mexico, absolutely destroyed them. And you had that feeling then that it, everything had clicked right at the exact moment it needed to um, above any other team there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's a real sense of satisfaction around that team, too. You could really sense it, you know, that they that they kind of showed um, the country that, you know, that this was an important team and that this was basically a first team and it was just as good as the, the, the normal squad and that they went to the tournament and did what the Germans do and win it. And um, I think you could really sense that yesterday with all the players and the staff and you could definitely sense it with Löw because, he, you know, he, he strutted through that mixed zone, holding the cup in his right hand and a uh, massive smile on his face. It was It was absolutely brilliant. Well, well, guys, before we, we were going to discuss the under 21s, uh, the European Championship win, uh, but also the Confederations Cup. We've kind of already started in the Confederations Cup. So let's just, um, let's just talk about that a little bit further before we go to the under 21s. Um, obviously he, he picked a, a B team. He wanted to show the depth that he had. Um, this is low and yeah, it's completely paid off. I mean, it, it's going to, Put fear in the other teams uh, around the world when they come to play them at the at the World Cup. But uh, I mean, there, there was players that Manu he he possibly took away from the under twenty ones. I know they won anyway, but you know if, if they had lost, that would he been uh, criticised for bringing players you know like Brandt and Goretzka, you know, along in the Confederations Cup rather than the under twenty ones. Yeah, there has been that um, because I think. Sh- Stefan Kunz really wanted to take Leon Goretzka to the U21s. And um, some of the statements in the press were like, well, we should focus on the U21 tournament more than the Confederations Cup. And um, we should make sure that we win the U21 because it's such an important basis to win the World Cup later on, right? Because, you know, so many of the 2009 U21 championship squad went on to win the World Cup in 2014. So there has been a lot of um, criticism towards that, but I think there were two very strong sides sent in the end of the day, and they both had some major players left out, either because they were hurt or because um, they were they were told to stay with the clubs, or they were sent and like Goretzka were sent to the to the Confederations Cup um, instead of the U21, and the U21 still did a remarkable job. And, you know, playing against that, that final against Spain, we all watched it and we, everyone raves about Spain and how many millions of euros all the players are worth and how they are going to be the best next thing on the planet. And maybe in, except with the exception of the last 10 minutes when, you know, the side that's down a goal always will press very hard. Germany had, had them, you know, and for 80 minutes they dominated this, the Spanish side. And that is 
quite remarkable given the players that are left out and given the fact how highly touted that Spanish side was. Yeah, very much so. They played some uh, scintillating stuff. And yeah, they, I mean, they're great players like Saul, who's just signed a, I hear, a nine year contract at Atletico Madrid, just showing how, how good the quality is in that side. Uh, Chris, can I just ask that very quickly? What what's the biggest achievement here? Do you feel for Germany the under twenty one uh, European Championship victory or the Confederations Cup? You may oh, say the Confederations. Rice, bloody hell! What sort of question well, is that? Um, come it's on. A good, it's I mean, a good one. No, it's I a mean, great if we're one. talking about the Confederations Cup, a lot of people say it's uh, a bit of a Mickey Mouse Cup and nobody pays attention to it. But if you can win that with your B team and players that don't really get in the team, then that's almost a victory in itself, right? You know, that yeah, makes it even uh, better. I think they're both as good as each other because the the under twenty one victory shows that um, it's the investment behind the scenes in German youth football. So you don't win the under twenty one if you haven't got ten years of good coaching experience at the national side, also at the regional side. If that's not nailed down and if that's not to the highest quality, so that underlines that Germany's coaching has been spot on academy wise and the way they bring their youth through so that's a good indication of that um the confederations cup is equally as good of win because they've done it without you know i mean look who they've done it without um no Neuer, no hummels no badstuber no boateng royce kadira cruz Scherler, gomez ozil Muller. none of them have been there um now there's a there's a world cup winning squad right there if you want to take 11 men to Russia next year, there's 11 that could do the job potentially mm. and bring the World Cup back. So the fact that he's gone with a really experimental squad and, and proved everybody wrong, um, I I don't think I did the Germany preview for um, Stadt before um, I left, uh, before um, before the sides left for Russia. I Inside, I thought they would get to maybe the, quarter, uh, the semi-final max. I honestly thought Portugal would be the stronger team here because of their squad depth and their squad experience. Um, I didn't see Germany winning the tournament. Obviously, they're one of the strongest teams in the world, no matter what squad they have, and we've, because of what we've discussed in depth. But maybe the Confederations Cup edges it because he's taken such a, a young side and, and gone and won the whole thing. And, you know, look at the teams they've played. They've played some good teams. And that Chile team, although Chile will be will be kicking themselves. I, I know um, I've got a good few friends who are Chilean. I spoke to them yesterday when the match was um, going on and they were real disappointed. They had the lion's share of the possession early on in the first half and they gifted a goal away and they missed countless other opportunities. So um, were Germany a little lucky? Well, who knows? Maybe it's not It's not their luck. It's the fact that Chile couldn't convert their chances, um, but they've gone and won it. So I would, I would say they're both as good as each other in equal measure. There you go. I'll sit on the fence. Yeah, may I just say that, uh, obviously, you mentioned that it was a young team at the Confederations Cup. There was only two years between the under-21s and the uh, Confederations team that started in the final. Well, just under two years, actually, which uh, is quite phenomenal, really. Uh, Manu, what would you say uh, was probably the best moment from the Confederations Cup? I mean, would you say that maybe Germany didn't play very well throughout it, but were just efficient? Um, or what What would your your takeaway points from it be? Oh, Bryce, um, I watched a lot of football over the last two weeks, and um, there was a lot of teams that, you know, we watched all together, watched the semifinal, uh, me in the stadium, and you guys from your respective screens. And I, I thought that Portugal and Chile, with both those countries, took the tournament very serious, very, very serious, you know, um, to an extent that they literally brought the best sides. And we were all talking about how disappointing that game in particular was. And I think that Germany throughout the tournament played very well. They actually, I don't think they had one bad game. And I really mean that. Even the game against Australia where they had struggled a little bit in defense because of chemistry, lack of chemistry maybe because they hadn't played together before. I thought that was very good considering, you know, that they were lying on the beach two weeks before that. The second game against Chile, they went down early and um, did very well to get back into this game. Did a magnificent job to get back into this game and had a good chance to win this game, you know, against a Chile side that I felt looked very old 
in this tournament at times. Average age 29.2, I believe, you know, and definitely coming at the end of a cycle against Cameroon. No, they did what they needed to do. And it was very convincing, wasn't it? And then in the semifinal against Mexico, well, Mexico, um, you know, went down early with two goals and then left themselves exposed and uh, made it quite easy for Germany to pick them apart. And in the final, I think the, the worst time that Germany had were the first 15 minutes, you know, Chris and I, we were chatting and you were, we, we had the feeling that they were maybe, um, struggling with the occasion a little bit at that final. And then out of nowhere, they scored. And from that moment on, I actually thought that the game was 50-50 and that Germany had several chances to put the game away. Chile had some big chances too. But I think the difference between the two sides in that particular final was that when you look at the players that Chile brought off the bench, you know, someone like Sagal, who misses a sitter out of from, what was it, six or seven yards out, and he, he manages to get the ball across the crossbar, and then, you know, that's that's Chile's bench. And that's no disrespect, but they don't have that depth. Their starting 11 has been more or less the same for the last four tournaments because they don't have the depth. And that's the difference. You know, Germany brings on Emre Schad, you know, a player that then goes on. And because Chile were play, starting to play very physical, and Emre Schad goes out there and he stamps his authority on the pitch. I thought he was magnificent when he came on. And that's that's maybe just the difference. You know, the players that Germany brought on, they were A, fresh, they were young, and they were better. And, you know, I thought that when you, when you look at it that way, it, it really makes sense that Germany won this tournament because they, from all the sides that I've seen, and yes, this is a team that would normally not maybe start with this sort of setup. They are the best side. Period. And, you know, they could go to a World Cup with this tournament, with this, with this very same squad and have a chance to win it. Chris, um, just uh, speaking of that final, uh, we've seen um, Arturo Vidal and Joshua Kimmich, both uh, Bayern Munich uh, players, uh, have a bit of fisty cups. Is is that something uh, Bayern should be concerned about, or was it just uh, a bit of heat in the moment, I suppose? I mean, it's something that they should be um, proud is probably the wrong word, but glad of. It shows that both of their players are um, passionate about playing football for their respective countries. And I would expect that they would expect that they brought that passion back into the new season. Um, I, I think I read this morning already that it's all in the past and they, they've sorted it. What happens on the I mean, football players are good friends off the pitch and then they get on the pitch as rivals and they can't stand each other. And, and we see that throughout football um, of you know, different teams, teammates, um, national teammates play um, for different club sides and they'll get into um, spats and then, you know, they'll come together and play um, together in a national team. Well, it's just the other way around here, isn't it? So um, Vidal and Kimmich have had a bit of a set to um, against each other on the national side and they'll go back to training next week or the week after, depending on how many days they get off um, from Bayern for playing uh, long into the closed season. And they'll come back and probably have a little laugh about mm. it and get on with training per normal. Artur Vidal actually spoke on this yesterday in the mixed zone. And he said, uh, we'll talk about it in two weeks. That's all he said. <laughs> <laughs> he laughed. Mm-hmm. He, he was laughing. Yeah. Artur Vidal is actually a great guy in the mixed zone. He comes through and he speaks to all the journalists and he always has jokes. And, and I said to him, what about Kimmich? And he's like, oh, we talk in two weeks. And then he was laughing and he ran off. And... Uh, uh, it's football, right? I don't, I don't think there's going to be much to it. Yeah, you gotta love Vidal, don't you? You know, uh, he, he always seems like a nice guy off the pitch, and then would would murder you on the pitch, right? Seems you know, accurate, so. absolutely. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just um, finally before you know we we move on uh, from the international football, and we speak a little bit more about Bundesliga. Manu, what, what was probably the, the best moment for the under-21s? Would you say that it was overcoming uh, that early loss uh, to Italy to then win it? Um, actually uh, beating Spain, who were hotly tipped uh, you know, to go all the way. Or is it beating England on penalties? I have to go with the penalties. <laughs> <laughs> well, funny, that. It's always good fun. Um, a joke never gets old. I think uh, penalties, Germany against England... You know, if it, you, you, that's probably the only bet in the world where you pay in and you actually have to pay extra uh, to get your money back. And uh, it's, you know, the moment we, I was sitting uh, in a bar with a bunch of other journalists in, in Kazan 
when we were following the match and I said it went into penalties and we basically all put our phones down because we knew how it would end. And uh and then we got confirmed. And it was it was it's just one of those things where you're like, Yeah, well this is this is that, you know, it goes into penalties. We know we've got that. <laughs> well, uh, a quick yes or no to both of you. Um uh we'll go to Chris first. Uh yes or no, do Germany win the World Cup next year? Uh, no, because no team that's ever won the Confederations Cup has won the World Cup, so they've bogeyed themselves. Oh. And Manu, yes or no, do Germany win the World Cup? Next? I'm not going to answer that question. I'm going to make use of my Fifth Amendment. <laughs> I'm going to answer that question. I don't want to. I don't want to jinx it in one way or another. Wow, well, I, I didn't get the responses I wanted, did I? <laughs> anyway, we're going to move on. That's international football covered, I think, for a little while. Uh, let's speak Bundesliga. Obviously, uh, the three of us are very excited about Bundesliga coming back. Uh, we've still got another little while to um, to hold out. Uh, but uh, transfers um, and talk of transfers are, are going on all the time. And uh, a man that we thought was was gone we thought uh, that was it he was never coming back to Cologne uh, it was Anthony Modesk and uh, it, it turns out it's it's all fallen through uh, Chris would you like to take us through what exactly has happened here um, I, it was a done deal was it not oh that's the best phrase ever it's a done deal well it depends what side you look for it's a done deal um, we thought it was a done deal as in when I say we that's a royal way as in everybody thought it was a done deal you know he'd already got on the plane before he'd had authorization to go over to China um Dilly boy once, yeah naughty boy but once again it looks like it's structure of payments that has has let has let the deal go through um, German sides quite rightly are a little suspect over um, Chinese um, payments. We've seen it in the past breakdown um, dramatically where you know they missed their second or third or fourth installment. Um, so maybe they just weren't happy with the structure of the payments. Um, it's a lot of money. And if you're breaking it down, it suddenly becomes a lot less money if you only get a third of it or a half of it. Um, so maybe they didn't feel they had the reassurances to take that deal onwards. So, yeah, it looks like he's going back. But um, he's been linked with all sorts of clubs again, isn't he? So West Ham's the latest now that are trying to sign him. Um, so, yeah, will will we see will we see him move there? It, it's evident. It made looks like he he might be on his way out of the Bundesliga, and you know if he's if he's been thinking about China, then obviously you'll probably think about England because it's the wages that you'll be given, um, which will set him up. He'll get excellent wages at West Ham. Um, probably the man with the either biggest sigh of relief to heard that he's been linked with West Ham, or the biggest sigh of doubt will be um, John Cordoba, who's been signed to, to be his replacement of a replacement that's now not going to happen so a penny for his thoughts at the moment um i would be surprised though if modest stayed it looks like he's on the way out maybe um clone a banking on bringing a little bit of money in for him um he could stay i mean we've said on this pod loads of times haven't we we'd like him to stay i'd really be interested to see what he could do in the europa league for um for cologne next year and he was, he was treated as a god, wasn't he, last season? And we saw him score some fantastic goals inside the box, outside the box, right foot, left foot, header. So it would be a shame to see him go. But as I've said a couple of times, has he got that extra season in him? What he did last season was fantastic, but he's not renowned for it. So could he do it again this coming season? Or is this now his ticket, his ticket out to a really good wage to see him for the next two seasons and then you know, retire off that? Manu, do, do you see uh, Modesk moving on as well? Or do you not see um, it possibly, you know, they've managed to survive, you know, an offer from China. Maybe now they can, you know, just say you're you're part of the squad going forward next year. I mean, they didn't spend very much on Cordoba, did they? No, they spent 70 million euros on him. That's a lot of money. Um, but they can because they, they have money on the bank from the last two transfer windows where they didn't spend all the money that they earned. And there's a new television deal kicking in in the Bundesliga this year. So they're getting, I believe it's 48 million euros from the television deal alone. Um, considering the fact that they have new advertising, that the new advertising deal, that their stadium is always sold out. They can, they can afford it. They can afford both. And, um, they are likely going to sell some of the other forwards, Rupnevs, et cetera, um, and still bring in Oud on top of that. The, um, the question that I have about this is Modesta has been massively backpedaling today 
in the media sort of saying, well, he didn't want to leave in the first place. You know, Köln forced to sell him. And um, in the end of the day, how it was his agents. You know, it always seems to be agents that um, are the motor behind these these transfers. And his agents wanted Köln to pay, cough up money from what they were getting from China. And then on top of that, the, the Chinese clubs were wanting the, to, to pay the, the transfer sum in installments. Now, those two things are big no-nos for Bundesliga clubs. They want the money up front, straight up, as much as they asked for, not in installments. And um, the Chinese club thought they didn't need to do that. And uh, Schmatke said, well, <laughs> you do and you don't. So we're, we're going to call off the deal. And uh, I guess the Chinese club thought, Tianjin Quanjin thought that was a negotiation strategy, but turns out it wasn't. Um, Modesto is staying for now. And I think there is a good chance Modesto will stay and will have to swallow his pride and uh, play for Köln next season. Now, uh, West Ham is a funny one because, you know, there's there's links. They've been linked with other clubs as well, uh, with other players as well. And I'm not sure that they would go for someone like Modesto, but, you know, I've seen funnier transfers to the Premier League and uh, they sure do have the money there to, you know, pay the the money that Köln wants, I'm not sure they would be able to spend quite as much on uh, salary. Remember, the Chinese uh, taxes are very low and the salary was somewhere in the region of 15 million euros. I'm not sure he would earn that at West Ham. So I think we'll wait and see. I think it's it's really 50-50 at the moment. Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to, uh, to see what happens. I mean, Cordoba's obviously uh, come in, and you know, there's talk of maybe a, you know another striker or two uh, joining him. But do you see, even if they do make a, a few signings uh, up top, and Modesca moves on, Chris, do you see them getting them you know the amount of goals back like like they did from uh, Modesta last season? I mean, he he was uh, you know a real cannon up front for them, wasn't he? Oh yeah, he was. He was. He, he was um prolific i think is the right word um, at times um he was he looked unplayable certainly the games i saw him live he was certainly unplayable um it's all about recruitment though isn't it so are they going to get a um 25 26 goal striker in no they're probably not so they're going to have to look at can they add five goals here five goals there five goals somewhere else to bring the team average back up to that i don't think they're going to go out and get a um, as I say, a 25 or even 30 goal a season striker. But if they, you know, with Cordoba and maybe Uth, you, you could look at 15, 20 goals between them there. If you can look at other places in the midfield, can they get another five or six? And all of a sudden, um, by replacing Modesta with um, three people, you've sort of backfilled that goal threat that he brings. So I've, Cologne have got their head screwed on. The, the signing so far and who they've been linked with certainly could add goals. Um, it's whether they can add it as a combined total rather than a one-off. Well, I, I mean, we always talk about, uh, I mean, the collective we, um, about your agents, you're obviously trying to get more money out of uh, clubs and deals and, you know, them being the, uh, the real uh, snakes in the grass a lot of the time. Uh, do, do we think at all on this occasion that... Cologne were actually uh, happy to sell him. They were like pushing Anthony Modesto out, um, just like he said. Because I mean, we have talked about how he was so good for one season that they they may not get that again from him. And actually, you know that that's quite a lot of money. I mean, it, it was it was back in uh, January, wasn't it? We talked about him going and that being a massive loss, and they may not get into Europe for that. But actually, with the return of money that they were getting, it, it was probably better than getting into Europe. Um, I mean, do either of you guys see that maybe maybe he's telling some truth and Cologne were trying to push him out to make this deal happen? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, it's when you look at how this deal went down and the fact that Modeske actually, you know, didn't he say at some point we have to talk to Schmatke quite in an open statement? That tells you that you know that he was very happy with making this move, and it's a lot of money. And to say, look, um, you wanted to sell me, you can't. Players are always funny. I mean, this is this is a two way way um, 
road, of course, you know, players very much they sign these these contracts and then at the first opportunity they try to get out of them. Clubs of course do the very same thing. You know, they they assign players to contracts and after they don't perform all of a sudden, you know, you start training group B's and you you force them to um to basically resign the offer and take offers from other clubs. It's it's a very sharp two edged sword, the player transfer market these days. But I do actually think that Modeste was quite happy to take all that money and move on. And, you know, when you look at the agents that are surrounding him, then you get the feeling that they were very pushing very much towards getting their back pay deal out of this. And that's really how it works. It's the agents that get a lot of money. And I think Köln will be quite happy to just hang up, hang on to him for this season. You know, they can afford it. They'll just sell some of the other players. They need squad depth because of the Europa League next year. So I don't think anyone in Köln is going to be very upset if Modesto is going to hang around. Well, we'll just have to see uh, what happens with uh, Modesto or where he ends up, I suppose. But uh, we're going to move on to uh, another uh, deal that's possibly, uh, well, it's definitely been rumoured. But uh, whether the club can make it happen, uh, we'll have to wait and see. And that's uh, Gabi Gol or Gabi Barbosa, uh, the Brazilian striker um, who just went to Inter Milan uh, last year. Possibly going to uh, Stuttgart. Um, Chris, I mean, how big a coup would this be for for Stuttgart? And I mean, if, if, we're, if we're talking about Stuttgart, they're they're not just your regular promoted side, are they? We've spoken many a times that they are a Bundesliga side, aren't they? Yes, and uh, when they went down, it was it was a shock, wasn't it? Um, so they would have the caliber, rightly, to um, to sign a player like this, but it would be a bit of a big coup because no matter how you want to dress it up, they are a promoted side. You can say, oh, they're one of Germany's um, historic big sides. They're a big city with loads of followers, um, loads of fans, loads of um, loads of industry in the area, and you know they're up there to be a powerhouse. But the truth of the matter is they're a newly promoted side, um, and he's Brazilian, so... What are his um, what's his knowledge of um, German Bundesliga football and, and you know has he got any is he asked question mark um, probably not but could they get him yeah they could because obviously he came from Santos only the other year um, you know, they paid handsomely well over the odds for them into a landing probably around eight nine million pound over the odds or market value at the time. Um, yeah, he's 20 years old. He can play on the, either of the three front areas, predominantly on the right wing, though. But on the signs of a coup, Stuttgart, as a newly promoted side, yes, I would say it would be a coup to get a, um, a young Brazilian like this, um, especially one that has been you know, touted around as a particularly good player. He's played for the under-23s Brazilian. He's made four appearances for national side, a couple of goals. So, um, yeah, it would be a massive coup, I think. Um, and if you're a Stuttgart fan, this is exactly the type of player you want to be linked with when you're back into the big league. And it shows a serious assault. And I think we've both said, well, sorry, the three of us have said that, but Hanover and Stuttgart will take it to the Bundesliga, maybe a little bit more um, than the two that have gone down. So um, Ingolstadt and Darmstadt, uh, the replacement is going to be quality replacement, which will make the league a little tighter. So, They've obviously got plans, you know, who knows if they have the right recruitment policy and we've already identified they're a big enough club. They could be knocking on the door of a European qualification place next season. I don't think any of us would be surprised about that um, if they could drag themselves up to sixth or fifth. Um, they're, they're a big enough side. But uh, the only thing that worries me is that is him as a player. Is he going to want to go to what is in essence a newly promoted side? I think if you were looking at maybe a European player or maybe a player with a bit of a more link to Germany, it, he may um, understand where he's going to. But if they can pull it off, wow, yeah, it would be a brilliant coup. Yeah, so from what I've heard, Chris, he wants to go. The The big problem is the um, the transfer structure. You know, it would be a loan deal. And... Um, Inter would have to pay for some of the salary, which is, of course, uh, enormous. Because, you know, Inter has been basically playing football manager for the last two years, ever since the Chinese came in and um, buying players left, right and center without really knowing where to put them. And 
and Gabriel or Gabriel Barbosa or Gabi Gol, um, to use many some of his nicknames, has been a player who was brought in and they didn't really seem to have any idea how to use him. And Inter paid twenty nine point five million euros for him. Uh, it's a lot of cash, and they um, I don't even want to know what his wage structure is like. It's probably enormous. So the the big obstacle is that. Um, the big obstacle seems to be the salary at the moment. He himself says he wants to come to Stuttgart. And um, apparently already liked the Instagram account and then quickly unfollowed it again, I guess, because the deal wasn't done yet uh, to make sure that, you know, we, could, we know how all of us know how Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all that kind of stuff work. Fans watch those accounts like like hawks and um, they, they notice something like that right away right and it can really upset uh, any kind of transfer or anything so he's quickly unfollowed that which then of course uh, made people wonder if he's, if the deal is off but from what I've heard it's really just about a wage structure at the moment and that makes it um, still a difficult deal for Stuttgart but boy could you imagine if they pull this off and loan him out for two years and um, to have a player like that in your side who's very, very, very talented. I, I follow Gabigo quite a bit. We have actually an article up on him on uh, Football Cidage from the um, the Cobra America um, in the United States, and he is he's a good, very good player, and a very good player who has not been given the the time and the room to develop into a fantastic player that he can become. Um, at Inter Milan because Inter Milan don't seem to really know what they're doing at the moment. Yeah, be uh, interesting to see if they can pull this one through. Uh, I mean, you'd imagine that also from a marketing perspective uh, in Brazil, the amount of uh, people tuning into uh, watch the Stuttgart games and buy shirts would go through the roof. He's a very popular player there, and seems like his development has uh, stalled a little bit with him uh, spending time in Saria without getting games or or goals, eh? So um we just see how that one uh, pans out. Let's keep our fingers crossed. Uh, it'll be an exciting time for the Bundesliga as well. But uh, we're gonna talk um about other players uh, coming in and out and a bit of a rebuild situation. Uh, Manu uh, Bayern Leverkusen, I mean we we spoke about them last year and obviously with Roger Smith we gave him a bit of a hard time. He left and things didn't look any better after that, did they? Uh we also thought that maybe the relationship with Chicharito would uh, maybe uh become a little bit stronger and he'd get more game time and that didn't seem to happen either. Um he now might be uh, leaving, and he's, he he mightn't be the only one. Now, what exactly is going on with uh, Bayern Leverkusen? Oh yeah, that's um, so. Heiko Herrlich is the new coach, and um, Hakan Jalanoglu was sold today to AC Milan. Uh, speaking about Milan-based uh, based clubs that use the world as football manager, another team with tons of Chinese money, um, and they bought him today. And he was, of course, out for six months. Because of the um, the transfer ban that he got, uh, because he signed a contract, I believe he was still seventeen with uh, Trapson Spor, and uh, then resigned the contract and went to Hamburg instead. And uh, he now just got hit with the six months ban that's now going to be over in the summer, so he's off. But he's not going to be the last one. We don't know what's going to happen with Chicharito. Um, we've recently heard that most of the squad. Or a lot of the squad is more or less, um, you know, could be up for sale or it would be available to a certain extent. Kevin Campbell seems to be following his buddy Roger to China. So he is probably going to be off. And um, it really leaves them kind of up in the air. Uh, that said, they did sign Kai Harberts to a new contract that sees him to stay with the club until 2022. And I know, Chris, that's uh, he's a player you really like. Oh, yeah, he is. Um, actively being scouted by a few Premier League teams as well. So it'd be interesting to see if they can keep hold of him, not now, but maybe the season after. But yeah, he's I've got a lot of time for him. He has got all the qualities for him to go a long way in the game, I think, um, at such a young, tender age as well. He's displaying everything you want in a footballer and I can only see his development going upwards. Um, it's just, will it stall a little bit now? He's got less quality around him or will that give him the opportunity to shine? It's a catch-22 situation for Bayer Leverkusen because 
Um, if they have an exodus of talent and he is one of their only talent left, then he could become upset or, you know, a little bit not very happy about it, um, unsettled, not upset, unsettled, um, and look to leave. Or he could just step up to the mantle and be the player that I think we know he can be. And then all of a sudden there's a bidding war across Europe for him. So mm-hmm. they're in a bit of a no-win situation with him. Um, but it's going to be hard for them. I was trying to see if I had a sound effect for a sinking ship and I don't, um, but that's what by Leverkusen is at the moment. It's a sinking ship. And we've, we, it's almost been like watching a car crash in slow motion for the last six to eight months. Um, and I think it's really going to come home for them to roost. I think they replaced um, Schmidt uh, at the right, probably at the wrong time. He should have gone maybe a little earlier, but he was replaced incorrectly, which has then left the squad unbalanced and unhappy. Um, if they lose Hernandez, um, which it looks like they will, uh, that is a massive loss for them. Um, is Julian Brandt going to hang around? Uh, looks like he is, but there's still two months left of the window. You don't know what's going to happen there. Um, obviously, chanaluka has gone. Uh, and then it, all of a sudden... It, other some of the other players in the squad who are quality will start asking themselves do I want to start the season here or what everyone's leaving what am I going to be doing I was promised Champions League football to come here originally and that's not happened so um, it's going to be a difficult one for them and and one that could see them spiral um, down because if we thought they had a bad season last season with all that talent imagine what their season this coming season would be like without that with that talent gone yeah, it seemed like somebody in the background was agreeing with you as well. Um, <laughs> um, it, it definitely looks like yeah, it's going to be a, a difficult summer for uh, Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, Manu, do you see it? you finishing and the, then getting into the start of the season on a positive note? Uh, or do you see next year being a really another struggle for them? That's a good question. I mean... Is Heiko Herrlich going to be able to turn around for them? And that's that's going to be an interesting one to follow. I think that there is enough young players there that can help them um, maybe get it done in a way that they have a stable season and then maybe build on that. I find them hard getting back into that Champions League contention. Um, I think that the sides ahead of them you know, Bayern, of course, Dortmund, of course. Um, but even someone like RB Leipzig, they will be there about pushing for a Champions League spot again. Um, you have München Gladbach, you know, we, we spoke to, um, Genta yesterday. It looks like he's off to Borussia München Gladbach, for example. They're rebuilding. They're, they're making their squad stronger. There's a lot of teams pushing for the Champions League spot. Köln are hanging on to Modeste, it seems. Well, who knows? You know, even Köln seem to be ahead of them. Um, not sure if Hoffenheim can replicate what they did last season. But it's, it's a competitive league. You know, if you, a lot of people always like to focus on, on Bayern München and how they dominate the league. But it's a competitive league behind that. And that means that there's a lot of teams going to push for that Champions League spot. And I'm not sure that Bayer Leverkusen can do that if they if they lose several key players and if whether Heiko Herrlich right away can put them all together and string a squad together that can you know be be actively challenging for that kind of spot. So I think what they need is a stable season, a season that where some of the younger players and you know we all forget that they also bought Bayer Leverkusen, the Jamaican winger from um, I believe it was Genk last season and. Here we haven't seen as much as we all would like from him. And if Julian Brandt does indeed stay, uh, still put a question mark on that, then they have a good foundation that they can build on in a year if if they play a decent enough season. Um, but that really depends really on the next 12 months, doesn't it? Yeah, testing summer for them. Uh, uh, they're definitely going to have a lot of competition next year, aren't they? Uh, well, we'll just have to uh, see what happens with them. But uh, we're going to talk about a player that we are all uh, very much uh, like now. But he's um, part of Wave of his clubs, and, and that's uh, Claudio Pizarro. Uh, Manu, we, we all said last year that we, we were big fans of him. He seemed like a, a very likable player, a good team to have in squad. But 
Unfortunately, um, you know, he's aging, isn't he? He's, he's, he's turned 38 last year and, you know, he's not getting any younger. And uh, I suppose... Whoa, whoa made... let's just back up there a second. I'm 38. <laughs> Didn't want to say anything, but, you know... He's you know, getting we... old and he's not getting any younger. Doesn't fill me with much confidence here. <laughs> he's really old. And, uh, yeah, you better be careful. You could part way with us. <laughs> that, that would never happen. That would never happen. We need your knowledge. Oh, oh that's just brutal. Um, um, that would never happen, Chris. I take it back. Anyway, let's talk about Pizarro before I dig a bigger hole. Uh, Chris, let's go to you then. <laughs> uh, Claudio Pizarro, uh, say something about him. Uh, he's got nice hair. What, 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 do you, what do you want me to say about him? Um, we've talked about him at great depth, haven't we? He's, he's such a good player and he's been everywhere. And when we say everywhere, he's been everywhere. All the top clubs, uh, you know, some of the top clubs throughout Europe, um, Bayern, Bremen, um, even had a little time at Chelsea. Um, he is a a model professional and a joke there that um, he's the same age as me. He's the sort of player that makes me feel sick that he is able to do what he does at 38 and, and you know, I can just about run up the stairs. Uh, it, it's, it's just a testament to his professionalism that he's been able to play football for as long um, as he has. And um, yeah, where's he going? Unknown. Um, but he's had such a good, such a good, um, you know, history, such a good um, career. That was a word I was desperately searching for there, career. Um, and, I've liked him everywhere. I've seen him. He's an excellent forward. But then when I've had the chance to look at him playing attacking midfield, I thought he can do that as well. Um, he's, a, he's a real good player and he'll be a sad loss to the league um, if he doesn't stay in it. Um, but if he wants to stay in Germany, maybe he could go to um, 1860, man, who help him out. Yeah, that'd be great. I could just see him tear up the uh, Stadion am See and Garfing score five goals and get us back to the professional football. It's me dreaming. Yeah, it's getting late. <laughs> yeah. Well, he could still become your top goal scorer, I suppose. But as Werder Bremen, I clearly don't see him as uh, one of the cornerstones there, unlike what we see uh, Chris Williams in this podcast. We just about hold together with him. There you go, Chris. Um, but yeah, we're, we're going to talk about Frank Ribery just to finish off the pods. Um, he's now at 10 years at uh, Bayern Munich, um, and so he's going to be there a little bit longer, uh, Manu, right? Well, at least another year and maybe a year after that and then it's going to be very tricky for him. But um, it's a remarkable achievement to play at Bayern for 10 years. And um, Ribéry has, is, you know, he's only a few games away to become the most capped player for Bayern, if that's the right term. Um or the, the player with the most games for Bayern in the league. Um, he is just a few games behind Hassan Salihamidzic, Salihamidzic, um, so six games behind him. Hassan Salihamidzic has played 234 games for Bayern. Frank Ribery is in 228, so I'm pretty sure i get that next season. Ten years is a long time at a big club like Bayern, and when you consider that when Ribery first signed, he said he will only stay for a few years, and then move on to you know England or Real Madrid or whatever. But then he ended up being actually one of those building blocks that helped Bayern become one of the top three teams in the world, and you know has really grown and um, become a big part of the identity. And he is, you know, a lot of people are saying he's going to be up there with the likes of Franz Beckenbauer, Lothar Matthäus, Philipp Lahm, Stefan Effenberg, Oliver Kahn. When he retires, he will be in that pantheon of Bayern greats and I think given what he's all done and what he's achieved with this club um, it's really remarkable and what a player he is still you know when when he warms up you could hear the chants Ribery 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 in the stadiums because you people know when he comes on you will get full power football you will get dribblings you will get tricks you will get everything you love about football and I think you know, even if you're not a Bayern fan, you have to appreciate what he does on the field. It's it's just incredible. Yeah, absolutely fantastic player of the years for Bayern uh, and France. And you won very much uh, 
entertained us and yeah it'll be a shame uh, once he does uh, move on but we're happy to have him another year in the I don't think he will again. ever move on Bryce I think you know he he said that he's going to stay in Munich I think he holds German citizenship now too I think he's never he's gonna stop playing of course but I don't think he's ever gonna move on uh, do would you see him getting getting uh, your know, role within the club then yeah, I think he would be the kind of player that Bayern would like to hang on to. Like they have done with Willy Sagnol, who is now back as a coach, or Vicente Lizarazu, who still works at the club, or Giovanni Alba. It's another one. Bayern are very good at integrating their former greats into the club structure. He looks like he could be, and then once he, once he actually retires, it wouldn't surprise me if he was an ambassador for the club for a couple yeah. of seasons. And then, you know, all of a sudden he's either taking his coaching badges or he's looking at maybe one of the, the more minor roles upstairs. Yeah, youth coach. I could see him, see him at that pretty quickly. Wow, wouldn't that be exciting? Well, here's hoping that it, that he does and he moves on to uh, to things uh, after his uh, playing days. But uh, we're going to call it there, guys. I think uh, it's it's been a, a great pod, even though we haven't got any Bundesliga games to talk about. But uh, Chris, what have you got going on this week? Is there anything you'd like to plug? Um, yeah, so uh, I am the new host of the Anfield Index Runner Pod, which is a um, pod for just for journalists. Sounds a bit snooty. It's not. Um, we don't have any um, fan guests on as such. Uh, we just bring a few uh, national and international journalists on and a couple of local journalists and we just talk about football. It's not necessarily Liverpool related. Um, we'll just talk about football. Think of it as a, a good Sunday supplement if you watch Sky TV. Um, it'll be similar to that. So that's coming out. Obviously, we're, we're partner with the um, Anfield Index podcast channel. And this week, it is a full return to Bundesliga duty for me. So I'll be keeping my eye on the headlines, trying to get behind the headlines, trying to speak to people out in various clubs to get the headlines before we get it. Um, obviously, Football Stat got... Um, a little bit of a scoop earlier on in the week with regards to um, RB Leipzig transfer statuses. That doesn't seem to have changed at the moment. So um, we're just looking at improving um, the output and not improving it, just getting the output more Bundesliga related as we run up now. Pre-season clubs are back, teams are back, players are back shortly. Fantastic. And congratulations on that new role. And Chris, just uh, quickly, do you know when the first podcast may be out? Um, we're recording it Thursday, so um, probably Friday, maybe Saturday. Um, it all depends when um, Gags has got them stacked up, ready to go. Fantastic. We'll look forward to that. Uh, Manu, what have you got uh, going on or what would you like to uh, plug uh, over this next week? Yeah, I just finished the Confederations Cup wrap-up. Just my thoughts on the entire tournament and what Russia did well, what uh, what they didn't do so well, and you know what it all means for next year. So that's up on Football Grad. Back to league coverage, really. As Chris said, I think that really, you know, it's going to be the same for me. Back to league coverage. I'm going to um, just take a few hours tomorrow and recuperate from the last couple of weeks and then take a deep breath and uh, get the structure out for what we need to do, um, you know, with the podcasts, of course, the three podcasts that are on the Football Ground Network and all the articles that we want to do and what we need to do to be better next season, you know, um, it's not just the players that want to improve. We want to improve our coverage as well. So that's that's going to be the task before the season starts. Fantastic. And I've been your host, uh, Bryce Dunn. The only thing I'd like to uh, plug is uh, the Golats, uh, the, the Mexican uh, football podcast that uh, Manu and I are involved with. Uh, should be a recording Wednesday. We should be out Thursday or Friday, hopefully. Uh, we may have a guest on for the first time uh, this week, which could be exciting. And unlike this pod, we'll do our best to not speak about international football. Only kidding, unfortunately, we'll have to. Uh, but yeah, that more or less does it for this week. Uh, thanks for tuning in, and our videos in. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied. Dass mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht, kommen dir entgegen. Ich hab Hi, this is Rachel Fisher. And this is Desi Jenikin. And we host the Hollywood Crime Scene Podcast. 
We're really excited to tell you about the best Christmas ever on AMC Plus, where every day feels like Christmas morning. It's the holiday season, and that means it's time to see old friends like Buddy the Elf, Heat Miser, and Clark Griswold. Plus, you get a stocking stuffed with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men, new series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond. They're all here on AMC Plus. So celebrate the best Christmas ever, anytime, anywhere. AMC Plus is the gift that keeps on giving all year long. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Want natural, healthy-looking shine and voluminous curls and waves that make you look like you just stepped out of a salon? It's easy with Conair Jumbo and Super Jumbo Hot Rollers. These 12 ceramic-flocked rollers heat up in just 85 seconds. And because they're infused with ceramic, they transfer heat evenly for big, bouncy, long-lasting curls. Twice the flocking of competitive products means more heat protection. Wire clips ensure a secure hold. Makes a great gift for yourself or someone special. Go to Conair.com for Jumbo and Super Jumbo Hot Rollers now. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.